We love you. You may be seated, everybody. Thank you for the playoff. Thanks for having me speak. I appreciate all your guys' faithfulness day after Christmas to uh, hear something from the Lord. Good to see my grandma and Uncle Scott, I think, out there. Love them very much and uh, appreciate your faithfulness to the house of the Lord and everything he's doing. I've got one verse of scripture. You don't have to stand because... Uh, unless you want me to stand too, it might be awkward. I'm going to sit and read it. So it's a uh, Romans 8, 37. And it says, May in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I want to talk to you tonight from the subject, uh, conquering comfort. Conquering comfort. Uh, I'm just going to take about 20 years of evangelizing and then a year and a half of pastoring and uh, and just kind of throw some stuff together here. But I believe that the greatest enemy to revival for churches, established churches like your own, is not the devil. I don't think the devil, I don't think he's the enemy to revival. I think he's defeated. I think I don't think the spirit of the of the day is the greatest enemy and all the things you see that are definitely attacking the church. I don't think that's the enemy. I don't think the world. I don't think the world is the problem. I, I think the greatest enemy to revival in established churches is comfort. Uh, the old statement that the enemy, the enemy of great, is good. Like that, a lot of people in churches are comfortable waiting on revival, doing the things they're supposed to do, and and kind of enjoying um, the crowd they have, the 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 friends they have at church, the connections they have. And they kind of get stuck in this rut of we're going to have revival someday and and uh, desires become daydreams. And before long, uh, what you really were passionate about is something that you're dreaming of someday will happen. And I call it the someday syndrome. Someday we'll have 500. Someday we'll have a full house. Someday we'll have these people here. Someday these things will work out someday. And revival, if it's really going to happen, it has to be uncomfortable. Uh, in the book of Acts, every great revival was was birthed out of uncomfortable situations, sitting 10 days in an upper room waiting for something to happen, and then it exploded. Uh, in Acts 5, when God killed Ananias and Sapphira, great fear hit the church, and a massive revival followed when they were uncomfortable. They feared the Lord. Uh, Acts 8, when Paul, or who was Saul at the time, was attacking the church, a great revival took place because they were uncomfortable. They scattered and went everywhere preaching the word. So if they were comfortable, there would have been no revival. But because of the attack that was on them, it caused them to step out of their comfort zone and go after it. I want you to write this down if you've got a pen, but everything you desire is on the other side of comfort. Everything you want God to do in your church and your family and your life and your ministry is on the other side of your comfort zone. Uh, we relax in the promises of God and then we don't we don't grow to our capacity uh, because of of our comfort. Uh, it's called the comfort zone for a reason. It's called comfort food for a reason. It's called a comforter on your bed for a reason because comfort insulates us and causes us to be content with being close enough. The flesh desires comfort more than anything. 
Jesus said, flesh is flesh. No matter how you dress it up, no matter what you do to it, you're always going to be flesh. And let me just say this very, uh, very clearly up front, that flesh wants the easy way, no matter what way it is. What's the most comfortable way of life for me? How can I even get to heaven in the most comfortable way? I, I'm going to say it very boldly that even our pursuits of revival are comfortable at best. We want We want revival, but we also want to do it the easiest way possible. Isaiah 58, uh, verse 3, it's the fasting chapter. He said, ye have fasted, say they, we have fasted, and you don't even see it, God. That Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. In other words, when you start pursuing me, you find things that are comfortable while you're pursuing me, and you undo everything you're trying to do while pursuing me. Your comfort is killing you. Everything that is easy is what's causing you to mess up the things that I've got for you. I remember when David tried to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. He was supposed to do it on the shoulders of men. But they just said, let's do it an easier way. Let's, let's, let's make it comfortable for our guys. Let's put it on a cart. And so they drove a cart. And rather than being nice and easy, the cart was shaking and you know the story, Uzzah touched the ark and God cut him in half. God killed him, split him in half in front of everybody because God has never been about comfortable revival. It is take work. It's not easy. Uh, carnality is what is birthed from being comfortable. That's what happened with David again later on in life when he should have been at war. He was getting comfortable and he started sleeping and relaxing in the war and getting carnal. And obviously Bathsheba was down the road and on the rooftop bathing. And that's what caused David's demise that night was he was comfortable in warfare. Jesus said, take up your cross. Uh, in today's world, that would be take up your death sentence. Take up your electric chair. Take up whatever. That's, that's not easy to hear, but that's, that's exactly what he meant by that. Don't stop trying to survive your consecrations. Stop rewarding your flesh after consecration. That's comfort. That's what I've done wrong for so many years in fasting. You fast a lot of days, then you gorge afterwards because your flesh didn't really die. And so you reward it for what it went through. And therefore, it's not really devoted. The word devoted in the Bible means to slaughter or to extinguish or to exterminate. And the Bible said in Leviticus that everything that was devoted was the Lord's. Anything that survived the altar was not God's. You shouldn't survive your consecrations, but you should come out different when you consecrate yourself to God than what Paul said, I die daily. He didn't say I almost die daily. He said, I die daily. I don't stop praying until my flesh is dead. In other words, if you are surviving your prayer meetings and your evil motives are still alive, you're not really devoted to God. Because you're, there's something that's desiring comfort. Even in our prayer times, I'll be the first to admit it. You check the clock constantly while you're praying because comfort is what really matters. The flesh is saying, if you go this far, if you pray this long, you've done a good enough job and you can get off the altar. Because truthfully, while you're seeking God in the consecration, your flesh is seeking comfort at the same time. Your spirit is seeking to consecrate and your flesh is seeking to be comfortable, and the winner will be determined by what happens at the altar. And so I want to give you three things that you have to conquer in your own life to conquer comfort. Comfort is what's killing the church. It's what's killing revival. 
I watched in our own church here uh, this first year as we were just comfortable with certain things going on, comfortable with certain attitudes, comfortable with certain people and the way they they the way they fought and different things. But once we got rid of that stuff, I watched our church since October have 300 guests come in, in the last three months. And I've watched revival break out and over 40 people receive the Holy Ghost in the last three months. And, I, and just knowing the difference in a comfortable church and an uncomfortable church, revival will always be uncomfortable. And if you want it to happen, you've got to get out of your box and you've got to do the things that you're not doing. So I'm going to give you three things. And then with each thing, I'm going to give you some statements and some questions that I want you to dwell on tonight because they're going to come right right home to your house, right to your right to your own mind. The first thing you must conquer is yourself. What do you let yourself get away with? What thoughts do you let yourself get away with? What second glances do you let yourself get away with? What do you justify in your own life that you would condemn in someone else's life? What areas are you too comfortable in your walk with God? This is going to get real. Do you skip everything you can at church? You only go to what is required of you. If you do, you're comfortable. Do you live at the bare minimum level? What can I do and still go to heaven? What can I get away with and still be saved? Do you justify your lies? It's quiet. <laughs> Real quiet. I've never seen it this quiet. Do you skip days of Bible reading? Do you hide in the crowd? Do you never go to the altar? Do you not teach any Bible studies? Do you pray every single day? Do you ever fast? If some of these questions are convicting you, it's because you're too comfortable. And you're not going to have the revival that's promised or prophesied being comfortable. I know it stinks, and I know I'm the bad guy, but it's just... It's the truth. If you really want to see what God's going to do, you have to start working on you first. After the city, you can't conquer the prince of the city. You can't conquer the spirits of the day if you can't conquer yourself. And so these questions, and I'll go through those. Those. This is just for the first one. You know, what do you let yourself get away with? What thoughts? What second glances? What are you justifying in your life that you're condemned, you'd condemn in somebody else's life? What do you skip at church? What I want you to think right now, what do you skip on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis? How, you know, I, I, I'm asking, I'm getting ready to ask our leaders in next week at our leadership. We have a uh, brother Gurley coming to do our leadership uh, retreat. And, and I'm going to ask our leaders, is this really your church? Because if this is really your church, you'll be at everything you can be at. But if it's not, you'll get a, you'll try to skip everything you can skip. Church is your whole world. You you will be at everything you can. But if it's only part of your world, you're comfortable. And so, uh, you know, do you do you live at the lowest level possible? You know, I'll do what's required, and that's it. Uh, are you are you truly a servant? Um, the what can I do and still go to heaven question is basically what can I get away with? 
what is this allowed? Is this not allowed? Anytime you're asking that, the direction of your question is saying, I'm headed the wrong way, but how far can I go and still be safe? And, and so it's the direction of your question that's wrong, not the not the subject or the matter that you're bringing up. You justify your lies. You skip days of Bible reading. You should never skip a day of Bible reading. Do you hide in the crowd? Do you teach Bible studies? Do you pray? Do you ever fast? That's the first enemy to your destiny is yourself and conquering the comfortable you. Number two, after you conquer yourself, you must conquer your past successes. Most dangerous thing is to ride out today on yesterday's victories and yesterday's consecrations. But the great Navy SEAL Jocko Willink said that the greatest time to attack the enemy is when they're headed back to their camp or their base after a day they think that they've won because their guard is let down. You enjoyed, here's some questions for you about your past successes. Are you ready? Have you enjoyed the spoils of war too long? Do you see yourself slipping? Are you not where you used to be spiritually? Is your hunger dying for the things of God? Are you training like the champion instead of the challenger? Champion's already won, so it doesn't, it's not as serious. It's harder to develop hunger when you've been to the mountaintops than it is if you've never tasted of that. You have to find a way to renew hunger when you've been to the heights in the spirit. And you have to stop your excuses and you have to put your past successes on the altar right along with your sins. Are you ready for a new war? Are you excited about what God's gonna do in your future or are you looking back at all the things you've accomplished, satisfied? and content do you feel like a success <laughs> that is a sign that you are riding today's battle or living to, in today's war on yesterday's breakthroughs and you can only do that so long before a new enemy shows up that you have not trained for you have to train for the enemies of today not the enemies that you conquered 10 years ago or five years ago. You have to train for the things you're fighting today. All right, I'll leave you alone. Here comes the third one. <laughs> you must conquer your struggles. You must conquer yourself. You must conquer your success. And you must conquer your struggles. What does that mean? What battles are you comfortable losing? What have you assumed is just your weakness and therefore you've retreated from even trying to defeat it? Are you stuck in a destructive behavioral pattern? Who are you refusing to forgive? What are you refusing to work on that you know is killing you? What situation are you comfortable blaming others about? These are struggles that must be subdued to have the revival, either personally or corporately. You cannot deliver somebody else from their chains if you are in chains yourself. 
your own chains. So what, uh, where's this next one? What, um, no, what routine needs to change in your life tonight? What routine needs to start in your life tonight? Really want to see God do it. You got to stop daydreaming and you have to start pursuing it. It's going to happen the other way. Revival is uncomfortable. And I hate to say it, but I'm going to say this. I didn't put this in my notes, but it's in my spirit. And I want you to get this. It's easier for a church that starts with 20 people to get to 1,000 than it is for a church that's stuck at 200 people to get to 1,000. Because usually the church that's established, that's at 150, 200 people, is very content and comfortable at that level. What you don't have that a little church has that's just getting started is you don't have a desperation factor. You don't have you don't have to worry about the building being yours next Sunday or not. You don't have to worry about the things that, that a new church is starting. And so therefore there's a desperation factor because no one's following you when you're starting the new church. It dies, everybody scatters. If you leave, everybody backslides. You've got, you've got, you've got establishment, you've got comfort, you've got you've got a legacy. It's there. It's it's relaxed. God's gonna send revival one day, but just not through me. I'm 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 hoping it comes, but I'm not gonna invite my my friend or my neighbor or my family member, I'm just going to keep sitting here. And that's the problem. You, you get comfortable. Churches get comfortable. Just like the holiday season, we all get comfortable. We all, most of us gain weight and eat things we shouldn't eat and do things, you know, we're just, we're just pigging out and gorging. And then we get a New Year's resolution and it lasts about three minutes or three days. And then it's like, well, we're going to just do this and then, then it doesn't happen. But I've asked some pointed questions because you, I, I fear that some churches desire great revival, but their desire becomes a daydream because they're so comfortable outside the door with little things that are in the way. And all oh, the devil's the big enemy, but the devil's really not the enemy. is the enemy. What to deal with is the is the thing you need to deal with, and the thing you don't want it to, to to fight is the thing you need to fight, because if you do that, you will go from being comfortable to being creative. Creative creativity keeps you uncomfortable. You're either going to be creative or you're going to be comfortable in this this un, this incoming year, this incoming season. You're either going to find ways to expand the kingdom, or you're going to find the way to get to your seat and just sit there. I want to know: Are you making a difference in Palmer Pentecostal Church tonight? Are you making a difference in Palmer and Wasilla and that whole region? You're just content being part of the crowd. What needs to change in you to take you from being comfortable to being creative? For the creator was never comfortable. He said good, then he spoke something else and something else and something else. And that's why when he went to the cross, uh, he chose to destroy his own comfort so that the world would be saved. So the comfort of God, he left heaven. He left everything that was perfect. No sin, no demons, no warfare, no no mistakes. Perfect at no no filth. But he had to get uncomfortable. What we have now, 
And if we think revival is going to come any other way, we're sadly, sadly mistaken. Want to grow that church and fill every seat. You cannot do it waiting on a wave of revival that's prophesied to come to you while you sit there and watch the show. You've got to get in the harvest. You've got to be. Get prisoner to your personality. You've got to do things to find. We have I noticed that this huge wave of guests we've had that some of them are really connecting. And I so I, I asked God, I said, what is what is what is the thing that I can do to keep them? And the Lord told me, he said, they are disconnecting from the world and all their relationships in faith. But there's no relationships in the church to keep them going. They get 20 friends they're saying goodbye to hoping that there's one or two friends that they can say hello to at the church. But the church is so comfortable. Oh, they know where we are. They know, oh, they skipped again. They skipped again because you're not talking to them all week. They skipped because you're not you're not checking on them. They skipped because there's nothing for them to do between Wednesday night and Sunday. And so there's, there's got to be something that they can do. So, so we started a, a thing called Chosen, where we meet with uh, all these new converts and we start walking through life with them because we know that they're coming out. I mean, some people have rougher stories than others, but we got we got guys that have committed murder. We have we have people that were witches. We have people that were bound by lesbianism. We have things that are just very very raw and real. And just just a good little Pentecostal church service is not going to be enough because they came out of the worst of the worst prisons and horrible things. And they're looking at me like pastor. I got to have something real. I got to have something, and it's making it's makes it makes our church uncomfortable. But it's the only way to have revival is you've got to get out of the, the comfort zone of waiting someday, somewhere God's going to do it. It's never going to happen like that. No one's coming behind you. No one's coming behind you. You are supposed to be the revival. You are supposed to reach the backslide. You're supposed to call somebody. You're supposed to invite somebody. You're supposed to be a part. And I know you can play the blame game and push it around. Well, okay. But ultimately, and I hate to, I hate to be blunt, but it's going to take more than Brother Stacy and Brother Larry and doing the crazy outreach stuff. It's going to take a, a lot of people doing personal evangelism, reaching where they are. You can win somebody where you are. I have saw that firsthand. Our church, I saw this in the last three months when we pushed this new vision we've got called Multiply. We were averaging 28 to 32 guests a month every month until the last three months. And now we're averaging over 100 guests a month. And I'm telling you, it's because people can win people that they are in relationships with, that they're talking to, that they're invited. You can win someone on your street or in your school or at your job. It, we can make it easier, but you have to find a way to get yourself uncomfortable in the harvest. If you want to conquer things, you got to start with yourself. Conquer all the things that you are, all the things that you let yourself get away with. Conquer your past victories and conquer your failures. Conquer the things that you are proud of and conquer the things you're ashamed of. Conquer the things that yesterday you, you would tell everybody about and conquer the things you would tell nobody about. Conquer those things in your spirit. Conquer you. And if you conquer you, you can conquer the whole atmosphere of that region of Alaska. There can be survivor. I, I'm just kind of, you know, I've 20 years of evangelizing. I, after a lot of prop, I mean, I'm, I, I love prophecy and I love prophetic preaching. Uh, and I and I and I try to do it when the Lord tells me to. 
But after a while, I get sick of the it's going to come someday prophecies because that or, or it just it just seems like we're using that as our candy stick to feel good in the moment to keep us in conviction. But the, the conviction is the opposite of being comfortable in the spirit world. You have to be convicted by something for your for you to grow. You have got to make the change. No one's going to make it for you. You have got to do something in your own life. Look in the mirror. Ask yourself some of these questions and say, "Am I doing this? Am I doing that? Am I getting away with stuff? Am I am I living at the lowest level I can live at? Who could I be impacting? Who could I be witnessing to? Who could I? Because I promise you, God wants to send you the people." but they're not going to be coming from a comfortable place. The craziest of the crazy people, the ones that I mean, I mean that in a good way, like the, the worst of the worst sinners, they show up to atmospheres that are not comfortable. They don't last in comfortable, established. We don't really care about you. You know, once you, once you become like us in every way, we'll accept you churches. They don't last there. They only last in atmospheres that are uncomfortable along with them people that are not perfect, people that don't make them feel like they're less than them when they first show up. You have got to find a way where the worst of the worst person feels like, I can make it here. I can make it here. There are people that believe in me here. There are people that will help me here because I have been through so many things. But I've, I've seen people come to our church and they they would say, uh, you know, I had a young guy tell me, well, Pastor, you know, I, I just feel like the worst person in the church because of all the things I've done wrong. I said, well, who made you feel that way? Well, no, it's not. Well, one person said something. I said, that one little statement right there, because they didn't conquer themselves, caused a new convert to almost lose it, who came out of the, one of the worst situations humanly possible, bound by homosexuality, all kind of crazy things, being attacked, being chased, and literally chased to where we are. And he almost backslid a couple months ago because someone who was perfect, made it to a place where they, you know, they were judging and, and attacking him. I was so upset by that because we have so many people that never look in the mirror to deal with themselves, but they can deal with everybody else's issue in the church and in the world, but they cannot conquer themselves. If you want to have favor with God, I've got to conquer me and you've got to conquer you. And so you're an introvert. No, I just, you know, I can't, I can't witness. I can't teach a Bible study because I'm an introvert. That's a lie. And that's your crutch. You're a prisoner to your personality and you're using that as a crutch. So you don't have to get involved because guess what? You can find another introvert and teach them a Bible study. Even if it's the greatest Bible study of all time, you could still teach the Bible study to somebody. The, you Sometimes we use little things as our crutch to why we do. Well, I don't, I don't like crowds, so I sit in the back. No, you don't like going to the altar. There's things we're we're comfortable. This is my seat. If you get offended because someone's in your seat or your parking spot, drive the dimension of comfortable. We're comfortable because it should be the point where I'm so glad someone's sitting in my seat. New people are here. Thank the Lord. I got to find a new seat tonight. Yes, this is awesome. Oh, look, someone parked in my spot. Awesome. You're like, I don't want to go in because they parked in my spot. You're too comfortable. And you're not going to win anybody like that. You have to, we have to break through ourselves. I'm my own worst enemy, not the devil. You can, 
the devil for your anger problem. You can blame the devil for your lust problem. You can blame the devil for your addiction. You can blame the devil for why you are. You can blame your family. Well, I'm this way because my dad was this way. My grandpa was this way. You can blame anybody you want to, but sweetheart, you're comfortable. You're, you're taking all the focus off yourself so you don't want to change. And that's the truth. Sooner or later, we have to grow up. If it is time to grow, then let's grow. The sooner or later, we have to grow up and say, look, I need to work on me. I need to fix some things in me. I need to be a servant. I need to be, I can, I can pray someone through the altar. I can, I can help somebody. I can be a blessing. And you'll find it's, you already know this, it's far more blessed to give than to receive. And you'll have a lot more peace and joy when you're more involved than when you are on the sideline. Because when you're on the sideline, you will become a critic faster than anything. That are not involved are the most critical people in any church. The reason, though, is not because the church doesn't want them to be involved. It's because they have to change to be involved. They have to get uncomfortable in some things that they're doing. And therefore, it's easier to stay comfortable and critique everything than it is to get humble and change things so that we think we can work on things and become better. So I want to ask you this as we're closing here. I want to ask you, are you in a place where God can talk to you about anything in your life, no matter how uncomfortable it is? And you'll work on it and change it. Oh, here's a tough one. Can you apologize to someone who needs to apologize to you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that means that means you want to say, I forgive them. But instead of you saying, I forgive them, you say, hey, would you forgive me? I had one young guy tell me, I, he would tell me about this pastor and the problems he was having, and he was going on and on about how you know he can't believe they're upset with him. He he forgave all that they had done wrong to him. I said, I literally walked him and said, I forgive you. I said, that was the stupidest thing you could ever say. I said, you walked him and said, I forgive you? He said, yeah, I wanted to know. I said, but you didn't say I'm sorry? He said, no, I wasn't wrong. I said, and that's why there's still an issue between you and that pastor. You've got to humble yourself, even if you're right, and say, I'm sorry. Learn from humility. Even when you're perfectly right, learn to be the one to be the bigger person. And because because here's the deal on that type of situation. You're either wanting to be proven right or you want the situation to dissolve and your motive will be determined by your action. So if you if you if you want the situation to prove you right, you'll hold that grudge till you die because you're going to demand them come to you to ask for forgiveness. But if you really want peace in in your life, you will go to that person and say, I'm so sorry. Full well knowing they're the one that lied about you. They talked about you. They said this, whatever. They said that. You've got to be the bigger person. It's uncomfortable. Deliverance is uncomfortable. Healing is uncomfortable. Peace is uncomfortable. True, 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 uh, deliverance in your someone's life it's very uncomfortable but you have to do what's uncomfortable to get what god is off everything you want is on the other side of your comfort zone uncomfortable conversations some of you need to have an uncomfortable conversation and fix your home 
Fix your marriage. Fix your life right now. You need to have an uncomfortable talk with someone where you say, I'm sorry. I am the problem. I am the problem. I'm the problem. And the other person needs to say, no, I'm the problem. That's Because that, if, if one's justifying itself, then you've got a Pharisee and a publican in the same room. You need to have the, everyone needs to have that publican attitude. I don't deserve the mercy of God. I don't deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve to be a preacher, but I know he loves me. I know he's been good to me. And so I cannot hold any grudges with anybody especially knowing what he's forgiven me of. That's the kind of thing that we all need to remember, what he's forgiven us of. That It's not so hard to apologize for some tiny little thing when you think about all the things he's forgiven you of. Really powerful, creative things. Uh, I had a pastor drive, I'll close with this. I had a pastor come here uh, yesterday, Sunday. He drove from Wyoming. He drove... Um, with 11 people from his church. He just started this church. He drove and he said he was not, a, he's not in the United Pentecostal church. And he said, he needs a, he needs a pastor and he's an independent pastor. And he, and he, and he, and he started telling me he was going to be here. And so he drove, he drove down and he, we sat down for lunch and he was telling me about why he started the church and all the things that had all the people that had done him wrong and all this stuff. And, and he said, you know, he was praying about me being his pastor. And I said to him, uh, you know, I just kept waiting and waiting. And finally, I, I found the guy that he was really the maddest at and the guy, the guy that hurt him the most where it all started. And I said, so here's you want you want someone to be your pastor. I said, yeah, I said, all right, go to, go to the first pastor that did you wrong and apologize to him. And don't let your flesh defend yourself one ounce, even if he says, yeah, you said this, you did this, you did that. And you did none of it. Don't you dare defend yourself one in one facial expression in one tone, in one word, you take the rebuke as like you deserve everything. He said, you don't know how hard that is. I said, but I also know you're never going to be what you're supposed to be and never have the growth you want in your church until you get over this thing that you're holding this grudge about. You are comfortable in your in your uh, grievance that you're holding against. You're comfortable in your bitterness. You're comfortable in your bad attitude. And you think you think that I can't see it, but that's the thing I've been waiting on for you. I knew this whole time that you're mad at somebody. And until you get over that, and I mean, not, not get over it. Like he, for, you know, he apologized to me. You got to go and make it right with him. I didn't drive all this way. I did not think I was going to drive all this way to hear that. I said, that's exactly what you came for. You drove 14 hours one way for God to tell you, go make things right with the guy that you think needs to make things right with you. You're too comfortable waiting. Churches are too comfortable waiting, waiting on revival, waiting on the other person to make things right, waiting on the family member to, to, to get a revelation and come to God. You're not fasting for it. You're not seeking God. You're not dwelling in it. You're not praying all night for that loved one. Oh, I'm going to get real with you. You 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 say, oh, waiting on God to save my loved one. When's the last time you fasted several days for that loved one? And you demanded the relationship that they were in to sever. When's the last time you prayed all night long, hours and hours and hours? I'm telling you, revival is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. But the benefits of consecrating yourself, seeking God in a way you've never sought him before are so massive. And you'll ask yourself when it's over, why did I not do this earlier? Why did I not do this last year or a year before last? Why have I been holding on to this thing? And we're too, pe too many people are comfortable with bitterness and offense and laziness and whatever the excuse is. They're just comfortable 
what, just comfortable. I'm just fine. No one's going to tell me anything. I'm not going to change. No one's going to tell me what to do. Preacher, you can say whatever you want to say. I'm not budging. And that spirit is what's keeping the revival from happening in most churches. It's I'm comfortable. It's the greatest enemy. It's the sneakiest spirit. It's the, it's the secret weapon of Satan to get you to a place where we've, we've arrived. We're good. Wow. Look at this beautiful building. Wow. We've, we've done amazing. You know why you built that building? Because you were desperate to get out of the other building. Built that because you couldn't fit in the other building and you had to have something more bigger. You had to have something larger. You had to have something that fit. And now it's like, oh, we're waiting on God to fill it. No, 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 no. Can't wait on God. You've got to go to that same desperation you had in that 2009 revival where you, you went all out. You had your guest competitions. You were pulling people like crazy. You were doing everything you could. To get. That's the kind of spirit that needs to get loose in 2024, 15 years ago. This is right now in that church in Jesus' name. That attitude will bring a massive revival. Really will. Really will. All right. I love you. Brother Plough, go ahead. Mm, me too. Yeah. <laughs> too many. Right. right. Yeah, you should never be satisfied. You know, like you never it's, it's like humility, it's a goal you never achieve. Uh if you if you achieve humility in your mind, you just lost it. Uh but it's like it's a goal you should never accomplish, but it should never stop you from from going all out in the kingdom of God. People want it. Real knows real. That's just a statement in the preacher world. Real knows real. And and you you want you want to connect with people and people know when you're the real deal or not. They they sense the people that are coming from this world, they know a snitch, they know a fake, they know a liar. I mean, they know. They they they've lived with these type of people their whole life. So they want to have someone that can relate to them in their mess. Well, he died for us while we were yet sinners. So we want, we want, he wants us to connect with them where they are. It doesn't mean we change who we are, but we do have to find a way to connect with them. When you're, I mean, I'm talking to a guy who had the worst of all things happen to him in prison and, and all kinds of things, this horrible, like the worst things possible. And, and he's murdered several people and, and God has brought him out and when he calls me and tells me layer by layer of his story, week by week, he just gives me, and it's the most painful thing. And I'd be stupid to say, oh, I've been where you're at. Well, I know I haven't been where he's at, but I can find a place to relate to him somewhere 
somehow and how real his pain is and tell him how real that God is. And when I baptized that sucker two weeks ago, he came out of the water. He's about five, eight, almost 300 pounds of muscle. And when he came out of the water, he just dove over the baptistry sobbing. Then he fell on me sobbing. And he said, I can't believe this. This is this is real. I have never felt peace like this. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what's you don't know how real this is and how much people need this. And then he'll text me every day. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for this church caring about me for being real. That kind of person, he knows when you don't care. He knows if you're ignoring him. He knows if you're not going to reach out to him. You've got to and if you're going to say so. What I what I did was everyone's got to go through discipleship to be in leadership. And so I I said, okay, we're starting discipleship. You got to join that. But but while you're joining, I, we have a security team, and there's two guys sitting in the back. I said, I want someone to sit right up on the front against the wall to guard my family because we have crazy people come to church now. And he said, done. And so he sits right up there, and he's the he's the scariest guy in the room by far, probably in the by far. And he sits there, and he said, Pastor, anyone comes near your family, they're dead. Like I'm just telling you, I'll protect. Now he's he's so all in. He's got a job to do at church. He's got something that he he feels responsible for, and it's my family. And he's and he's he's so serious about it. But but he is he is he's already witnessing to all of his friends. He called me. Pastor, I'm, you got to help me. I'm witnessing all these coworkers, and they're telling me stuff I don't know, and I don't, I don't know how to argue with them. And you know, he doesn't know anything, but he's trying to witness to them about God. That's the kind of people we that are out there. They're waiting on you to just let your Pentecostal wall down and be real and say, hey, "I know what it's like to be." You know, I. We had our call tonight and, and someone else was talking about how they smoked weed for 10 years and just got delivered from smoking weed. And I watched that guy from the prison on the call nodding his head like, thank you. Thank you for telling me that I can get off of drugs. I can get off of weed. And he was and he's shaking his head because someone was transparent enough to say, hey, I, I was there, too. I struggled, too. And that's what people people want. Don't want to know that you're perfect. They want to know that you are not perfect. That's what they want to know, because if they think you're perfect, they'll compare themselves to you and they won't come back very much because they'll think I, I, I that's so much better than me. I've never I could never live this life. But if they think this person is amazing, but yet they know where I'm at. I can do this. They're going to. That's what they're looking for. Be real. Why does the, why does the good dad, amazing dad. Make sure he's not what his dad was to him because he he went through something. And so he doesn't wait for some other good dad to be a great dad to his kids. He says, I'm going to be what, what I what I never received. I'm going to show the love I never received. So that's that's you don't wait for revival. You become revival. You don't become what you don't see. If you you become it, you you become the guy that witnesses, you become the lady that teaches a Bible study, you become the Stacy that goes out and brings people to church. You have to do that. No, you can't wait on someone to be that. You've got to be that. If that room right there, those 50 or 60 people that I see had that mentality, all of you, boy, you you'd be packed out within a month. You wouldn't be able to you wouldn't be able to hold it because that's 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 the potential that's in the room that's just waiting for you to get uncomfortable. You you want to leave the Christmas season thanking God for everything he did in 2023 with a made up mind. I'm going to be uncomfortable in 2024. I'm not going to let my flesh sit there and just chill. I'm going to I'm going to do something for God. I'm going to be more committed than I've ever been before. 
something's going to happen in my life. 